Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Well, like my wife said, if you're new to Authentic Church, uh, my name is Jeff. Her name is Vaughn. We are honored to be the lead pastors here at Authentic Church. And uh, one of the things that we have is, uh, we call it a culture card. I don't know if we have one of those anywhere in the front row, maybe right here. But on the culture card, you'll see uh, that there's some, just some distinctives, just tells you a little bit more about us and what we're all about. You know, here at Authentic, we like to say it this way, we're a Bible-based Spirit-empowered, presence-driven church. Okay, we are Bible-based. Everything we do is biblically based. How we worship is biblically based. The teaching, the preaching of the Word is based on the Bible, not the opinions of men. Okay, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a tough time, I don't need man's opinion. I need to go to the Word of God and get God's opinion on that subject. So we're a Bible-based church, and we're Spirit-empowered. We believe in a move of the Holy Spirit. That the, that God, the Godhead, is Father, Son. And Holy Spirit. I grew up Catholic and it was like Father, Son, Holy Bible. Okay. But there is a Holy Spirit and he wants to show himself to you. And we're presence driven. We're not led by, led by performance or personalities. We're led by God's presence. Moses said, God, I don't want you, I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. God's like, Hey, you can go. Exodus 33, you can go read it. He's like, you can go, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses is like, Lord, we don't want to do anything without your presence. Your presence is the only thing that distinguishes us from anybody else. In church, the only thing that distinguishes this gathering from an Elks Club or some Boys and Girls Club gathering today is the presence of God. We have to have the presence of God. And I pray you felt him today. I don't know about you, but I was back there banging on the cajon, and I felt the presence of God as Isaac and and Megan were stewarding those moments. It was just so, so fun to be together. But one of the one of the values that we have is community. So every single month, we take time to hone in on our value of the month. And the value this month is community. We like to say it this way, pull up a chair. We're a community who invites anyone to our table. We believe our church should reflect heaven through diversity and by serving each other from one generation into the next. And, uh, and like my wife said it earlier, but Ryan and April Murray, uh, why don't you just go ahead and stand, Murray's, just so everybody can see your faces right now. Stand up in the name of Jesus. Please stand. Please rise. So Ryan and April are going to be heading up their uh, connect group. Uh, it's it's a monthly hike that they do, and uh, and and hopefully it's going to go. I don't know where you guys are going this weekend, but I think we're supposed to join you. So we'll probably be out there as well. But it starts at 9 a.m. Not 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 at 9:05. So it's 9 a.m. And April is a stickler. She's a stickler. Uh, Pondapreek. She's a stickler for staying on time. So you got to make sure you get there early. We've been in a, uh, we've been in a, a sermon series called Mountains and Valleys. And if you were with us the last few weeks, we took a look at the battle of, in, in the Valley of Elah. And it was, uh, you, you had David versus Goliath. And really what that battle was about was about who could control the Valley of Elah. In fact, today, if you go to the Valley of Elah, it's still, they've done soil samples there. That valley in Israel 
is one of the most fruitful, uh, rich in nutrient soils of anywhere in the entire world. There's been teams that have gone, gone around the world, geologists who have gone and done soil samples from some of the most, uh, the, the greatest areas uh, in the world where you, could, where you could farm. And they found that the nutrients of that valley surpasses anyone else. And in that valley, whoever controlled uh, the valley obviously controlled the, the fruits, the vegetables that were grown there. And back in the days, uh, uh, if you go back into the, the days of the Bible, when, when you had a crop, man, you had to harvest that crop quickly because if you didn't, and the marauders came in, the Philistines came in, they would come and kick you off your land with their, with their fancy technology called swords, because they were, they were the ones that controlled the iron of their day. So they had swords and everything else, and they would shoo you off your own land, and then they would take in the harvest. And what happened was above the valley, there's a place called Azekah. Azekah was the stronghold city, if you will. It's about 14 acres around. And from that place, you overlook the valley, and whoever controlled the stronghold of Azekah controlled the valley. And so if you didn't control the stronghold, then somebody else did, then no matter what was grown in the valley, went to them. So the battle of David and Goliath was really about who could control the valley and who could control the stronghold of Azekah. And the big idea over the last few weeks is what are you running to? Are you running to God? Is God your stronghold that you're running to when the enemy comes in? Or are you running to something else that has become a stronghold in your life? Netflix can be a stronghold. I love kicking back and watching a good movie like anybody else. But if we're running to that every time because I'm trying to numb what's going on in my heart, it becomes a stronghold. Instagram, right? Twitter, X, whatever you call it now. Yeah, I mean, you know, alcohol. Different things that start out is just like, oh, it's just one drink. It can become now it could become a stronghold in your life. And the devil, the devil wants to control that because he wants to take all the fruit that God wants to give you in the valley of your life. But the people of God rise up and say, no, I'm going to build a stronghold to the Lord. Amen. And that stronghold is here. He's a stronghold. So sometimes when we hear the word stronghold, we can think, oh, it's just a negative thing. It's about sin and everything else. No, actually stronghold is a place that we run into that holds us strong when the enemy comes in. And the Lord is our stronghold as believers. So we shared last week about five stones to take down any giant. You remember David, he's facing the giant. Saul puts his armor on him. David gets our Saul's armor. He's got his helmet. I could just see him. Saul was about 6'8", most theologians believe. And David, the average height of a man at that time was 5'6". So here's a 6'8 dude handing his jersey to a guy that's 5'6". And he's like brother, this don't fit, <laughs> you know, like this ain't going to work. And he's trying to hold his sword and everything else. He's like, and then finally David was trying to make it work. He's like, I'm going to do this. The King's handing me all of his stuff. I'm, I'm going into battle, but there's something inside of David's like, this just doesn't feel right. Like this is not me. So he takes it all off. And then he goes down to the brook of Elah and he picks out five smooth stones and, and the big idea was, what are you reaching for when the enemy comes in? What are you reaching for? And so the, the five stones that we outlined to reach for when you're facing a giant was praise and worship. Number one, turn that up in your life. Number two, get into God's word. If you need a word from God, get into God's word. And when you get into God's word, you meet the God of the word, okay? The third area was fasting and 
Prayer, fasting, yes, it's not just something we do in January, okay? Fasting is a weapon in the Christian's life, and when we fast, we disconnect from the world, and when we pray, we reconnect with God. So the fourth area was resources. Taking a look, what are some of the resources that God has placed around me to help me defeat this giant? And then the fifth area was community. And during the, during the sermon, we did something we had never done before. If you weren't here, we actually took a poll in church. And in the poll, uh, we did a live poll in church. You might have gotten a text message that came out from Authentic that day. But we took a poll and we said, hey, you know, based on some of the things that we see in statistics and what we've heard from other people, what is, what's the number one area? And we boiled it down to basically five key areas that kind of summarize the most prayer requests that we receive as a church and some of the biggest challenges that people in our society are facing. And so we took a poll and kind of the five giants, if you will, that we, 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 uh, fell on was the financial breakthrough being one, anxiety or depression being the second, physical healing being the third, relationships, and then addiction. So we, we, we took a poll and said, hey, out of these top five, which one do you feel like you just keep coming up against? Like you get some momentum and then boom, you just feel like you get knocked back. And so we took a poll and the poll results of last Sunday was this, 31% said financial breakthrough. 23% said, man, relationships, difficulty in relationships. 19% of you said anxiety or depression. 13% said addiction. And then 11% said physical healing. So based on that information, we are, we've kind of course corrected some things, changed direction, if you will. And for the next few weeks, we're going to unpack what does it look like from the biblical perspective of financial breakthrough, areas that you want to have victory in. And, and I want to remind us of this scripture out of Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. This is a prophet, Hosea, Old Testament prophet. He says, the Lord speaks to him, and the Lord says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Other translations said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And, and when, when, when you're perishing, you're, you're like, you're, you're like, you're, you're, you've you ever had a, a fruit that you sat out on the camp? counter like a banana and nobody ate the banana even though you went to the store and your wife told you to go get a bunch of bananas and then a week later you still have that bunch of bananas and now there's like little gnats flying around those bananas. I know it probably never happened to you. It might have happened to me. And so, you, you know, is, is, that fruit is perishing now. God doesn't want the fruit in your life to perish. He wants there to be an abundance of fruit. He wants you to enjoy the fruit. He wants you to taste and see that he's good. He wants you to encounter him. Like he wants you to have fruit in your life. And, and I just want to pause for a second and pull back as we're, we're going into talking about this. When, when, you, when you look at financial breakthrough, when you take a look at you know, money, finances, and you take a look at it from a biblical perspective, I just want you to think, have this picture in your mind. God is a good father. Like he's crazy about you. He loves you. He wants to see you blessed. He wants your family to be blessed. He wants your marriage to be blessed. He wants you to be blessed in your job or your business or your finances because he's a good father. I mean, just think of the simplicity of that. Before we're going to dive into scriptures over the next few weeks, we're going to dive deep into some theology and doctrine and different things like that. But I just want you to look through the lens like, man, I have a heavenly father that loves me, that cares for me, that wants the best for me. 
And maybe the best for me isn't always an external receiving of financial huge blessings. Maybe it's the blessing in the character that he is doing in my heart through the hardship I might be facing. What, what are you going through? But if, if, if we have a misview of God and his nature, then when we face hardships, we're, we, we lose good doctrine and we start basing our view of God on our experience or our feelings rather on his word and who he is. And, you know, when David faces Goliath, Goliath's got a sword. David's got a rock, right? You got to use whatever you've got to hit the enemy where he's at. And, and David hits Goliath. Goliath goes down. Then David runs over to Goliath and he grabs his sword from Goliath, pulls it out of his sheath, and then cuts Goliath's head off, man. And, and the big idea there, we talked about it last week, was that the giants that you're facing today will give you the weapons you need for tomorrow. The giants you're facing today, the, the, the giants that you're encountering, what God's telling you, I want you to take this guy out. I want you to take this thing out. I want you to get rid of this. The giants you're facing today are gonna give you the weapons, that sword that you're gonna need for tomorrow. Even when David killed Goliath, there was still a battle. The Philistines ran, but man, they went after them and they said, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take you out so bad that you don't wanna come back to the Valley of Elah. You don't wanna come back to Azekah. We're reclaiming that now for God. And there's things in your life and there's things in my life that if we're not careful, we'll start running after them without the weapons that God gave us. When you run after an enemy without getting the weapon from God, there's a good chance that enemy can't overtake you. Just ask the seven sons of Sceva. Tried to do something without having their own encounter with God. So the question is, what are the weapons God wants to give you? What, what, what does he want to equip you with, with whatever giant you may be facing, whatever mountain it feels like, man, I just keep lapping and coming back to the same thing and coming back to the same thing. Then the question is, okay, why, Lord? What do you want to show me through this? What do you want to grow me in in my character? What am I missing? Why am I going through this? And you begin to work that out and spend time with the Lord and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and gives you some thoughts and ideas and, and you had thoughts that you didn't think about and you write those down and you journal them and then you ask the Lord, you partner with him and you ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me in this situation? So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna dive into the word of God today and the goal is that when you understand the word of God, you get to know the God of the word and when you know the God of the word, you realize he is faithful, that he is a faithful God. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into it this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you. Your word is life. I thank you, Lord, that your word brings transformation. God, we gather together today. Nobody came to hear a man speak. God, we all gathered to hear you speak. So we're asking, God, would you come and speak to us today? I pray that every single person here today that's earnestly seeking to hear from you. I pray that they would receive from you today a fresh word, a rhema word, a word that hits their spirit where they're like, that's what I came here for today. Thank you, God. That, that speaks to me. Thank you, Lord. I'm gonna hold on to that. I'm not just gonna hear the word. I'm gonna steward the word today. So God, would you help us? Would you speak to us today? Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was praying about this topic and, and, and what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, the Holy Spirit dropped this saying into my spirit. 
You know, I was flying on an airplane, and then I, I'm just kind of praying under my breath, and, and, and I pray and type and kind of process with the Lord. It's just kind of my rhythm, and so I got my, my iPad out, and I'm typing away, and then I just sit and listen, and then I type what I feel like the Lord is telling me, and he dropped this saying into, into my heart. It was, hear and obey, sow and pray, reap and rest. For any giant you face, hear and obey, sow and pray, reap and rest. Can we just say that together? Hear and obey, sow and pray, reap and rest. Reap and rest. I titled this this series we're going to go through, Keys to Financial uh, Breakthrough. Biblical Keys to Financial Breakthrough. So when you read through the Bible, you'll see if you study the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, which I think we'd all agree we should model our lives after, one of the biggest topics that Jesus talked about, it was not love, it was not faith, it was not honor, it was not humility. The biggest topic that Jesus spent time talking to people about during his day was the topic of money, believe it or not. It was money. Why did Jesus talk so much about money? I believe he outlined and gave us insight to that in Matthew 6, 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Some people think where my heart is, then my treasure is. You got it backwards. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's, that's where your heart is. Where you, where, where you put your money, where you put your value, where the, the, the time that you spent earning a life and earning a living, then you take that money and you spend it somewhere. You invest it somewhere. Where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. So the question is, where are you leading your heart? If, if I'm putting my treasure out there, and we all, have, we all have treasure, we all have finances God's given us and blessed us with, where I go with that, where is my heart following that? Where, where is that, what is, what is happening in that area? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Years ago, uh, our, our family, we, we would u- usually go on these summer vacations in eastern Washington, and my uncle had a boat, and our family, we had a tent. <laughs> so we would go camping in Washington. And it was one of those things, no different than California. You'd have to plan your camping adventure like six months in advance, right? You got to get time off work. You got to book the, you got to book the campsite and everything else. And, and like looking back, it was probably just as, you know, expensive to stay in a hotel as it was camping. <laughs> you know, when you factor in the wood and everything else that you're doing, right? And so we would go and my uncle would have his boat and we would have, we would, we would have our tent. And I remember one time we were, we were camping and it was raining. I, I camped in the rain so many times. I had somebody a few weeks ago, they were like, hey, you want to go camping? It might rain. I don't know. I'm like, brother, I will never go camping in the rain again. Like I would like, I will never, ever, ever, ever go camp. If I can choose, I'm choosing never to camp in the rain again. Like I've, I've dried out so many stupid sleeping bags, so many tents. I've had the little Coleman stove that we had to buy to heat up the tent that's specially designed to dry your stuff out. I'm like, brother, like it's two days just to unpack from a camping adventure like that. I'm like, it's not happening, you know? And so like not, so we growing up, we would do that. And I remember one time it was raining so bad. And in the middle of the night, like, we had this cabin tent and the water's pooling up and it was just falling and hitting my mom on her head. 
And my mom, you know, you, you have to meet my mom. She's incredible. Uh, she was the first female executive for Macy's Corporation. So back in the 70s, she was the first one that kind of like broke through that. She was, she was a boss, man. She, she was a buster. She had 4,500 employees. I mean, she just ran stuff for Macy's. She's incredible, incredible boss, incredible leader. And so here she is sitting in this tent. She's getting so annoyed by this drop of rain. And, she, you know, the next morning she wakes up and she looks at my dad. She goes, I wonder what the poor people are doing today. <laughs> like, we is that, you know, like, let's get out of here. And that was the last time that we camped in a tent because they went down and invested into a trailer. And then the trailer was the thing. So then when we'd go camping with my uncle, my uncle had a boat. We had the trailer. We'd cook in our trailer. Us kids would sleep in the tent now. Mom and dad upgraded, and sometimes we could sleep in the trailer with them. And then my uncle had the boat. And, and we would invest so much money into that trailer. And my uncle, man, you know, the, the best day, the, the two best days of the boat, the, the boat owner's life, when is it? The day you buy the boat and the day you sell it, right? And my uncle, he was like every family vacation. I'm like, does this thing ever run? You know, like, you know, he's always fixing it. Something always goes wrong. There's gasoline all over in the lake or the river, right? You know, it's just, you know, and you get there. Yeah, and, and that's that's where we invested a lot of our their finances and their time. Now it was fun and we had a blast, but hopefully you, you're getting the idea. The picture is when you're putting your money into something, you start that becomes the focus. And we were weekend road warriors, man. And in in our lives, there's things that that's a small scale example. And I want to take it on a big scale. There's things in your life that you're spending money towards. And, and it could be fun. It could be something fun like a, a boat or a trailer or whatever. But if that is constantly taking you away from the presence of God and being in church on a Sunday or gathering with your group of believers, that thing starts to own you. Where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. So where are, you, where are you leading your heart? Jesus said, it was quoted in Acts 20, verse 35. They were quoting Jesus, Paul did. And he said, remember what Jesus said? He said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, before we get too far into the message today, I just want you to, I want to let you know, I'm not receiving an offering today, okay? I'm not receiving an offering today. I'm not going to receive an offering today, okay? Like never in this series are we going to receive an offering. So you can just kind of like take a deep breath. This isn't a setup. This isn't like I'm going to, you know, try to convince you to get into a multi-level pyramid scheme, okay? I'm not receiving an offering today, now, if you've come here and you've brought your tithes because you're faithful like that, awesome. If you've brought an offering and you want to sow a seed into the ministry of Authentic Church, awesome. This is good soil. That seed goes into good soil. It produces good fruit. I believe that. But I only here at Authentic Church, we only do formal offerings three times a year. And we just made the decision. We felt like it was a rhema word from God that when we launch Authentic Church, we're just going to teach people the, 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 how to manage and steward the finances God's given them. And as if we're all faithful with the tithe, the Lord's going to always provide. And so we don't have to worry about that. But three times a year, just like God ordained in the Old Testament, he would ask the, the leaders of household, the men of Israel would come and gather three times a year in Jerusalem. And during those times, they would come and bring a special offering to the Lord. And so we're not going to take an offering in this time. So at Authentic Church, we do three offerings a year. That's it. Okay, so I just want I would just want to lay that out, um, and um, I also want to let you know that in terms of the the talking about finances, I just want to let you know at Authentic Church 
how we handle finances. Because some of you may or may not know if you're new to, newer to our congregation, I, w- I just want to share with you, um, I, I do not handle tithes or offerings, okay? Um, we have people on Sundays that handle those types of things. I do not touch that. Uh, they get handled. Uh, or we have a bookkeeping and an outside accounting firm that handles and audits all the finances every single month and then also pr- produces reports every single quarter. As a member of the board of directors of Authentic Church, I receive those reports same as all of the different elders. So we have an outside firm that handles that. And then also from the standpoint of, some of you know our, our story, but uh, you know we came out of the business world when we moved here from the, you know, the nation of Texas, <laughs> like my new friends in the back. And so we moved here from, from Texas. And when we were in Texas for a season, really the Lord positioned us and blessed us supernaturally financially that we were able to fund everything that the church needed for the first year and a half when it started. And so we were able, we, the Lord had blessed Bless us supernaturally. We were able to take that and sow ginormous seed into authentic church. Instead of uh, buying a house in California, uh, we funded God's house. And so uh, we, we launched authentic church that way. So whatever the church needed, uh, we would just be able to write the check for that and give it towards the church. And it was our joy to do so. It was our honor to do so. We knew the reason that the Lord blessed us with such supernatural provision was really to fund his vision and his heart. And so uh, I, I now we do have have a salary. Our salary, I can't even give input to it. I cannot be in the room or have the conversation with our elders about that. They have it, and they actually go and get uh, reports and outside consulting from other organizations that study the market, understand cost of living, our churches our size, etc., and they dictate that, and then the board can decide what they want to do. So I have no input into that. So I just want to give that as a little bit of an overarch as we're sharing this. Um, and the reason is, is because like you, I've seen people uh, mistreat, manipulate, and abuse people when it came to finances. And I think that makes the, I, I think that hurts God's heart. I, I think it saddens God's heart that he would say, this is not what Jesus died for. Like that, like that's, that's not the purpose of a man in the pulpit. Like that, that's, that's not, that, that, that's, that's not okay with me. And, and I've been in scenarios of offerings that felt like this arm twisting thing. And you just kind of always felt like greasy. Like, I don't, that's nasty. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. So I share that with you all just to kind of, as an overarch, just as a bit of a foundation of what we're sharing today. We're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to jump around in some different areas today. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, if we have it up on the screen, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, the love of money, when, 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 when I read that, my first inclination is to go to, you know, that TV evangelist preacher that's trying to sell you and, and you're going to receive a blessing if you give this. If you give $1,000, you're going to get $10,000. And blah, 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 blah. Like, see these jokers on TV and you're just like, you're, you're like vomiting, like on the side of your cat, right? It, like, when, when I hear that for the love of money, that's where I go to. And I was praying about this this week 
And the Lord says, the love of money doesn't always look like that, Jeff. He said, sometimes the love of money looks like I don't want to tithe to the Lord because I have my own things that I want to do in my life with that money. So I'm actually going to choose not to. The love of money can look very differently than that guy that's trying to manipulate. Sometimes it's us just trying to manipulate the scriptures to serve our own desires. So I want to make these three statements on finances as a bit of a baseline foundation for us as we're jumping into this. Number one is money is a tool. It is a tool. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. But money itself is not evil, right? I could take a, I could take a marker and I could, I could draw and I can figure out problems. I could take a paintbrush and I could paint and create a beautiful work of art. Well, I couldn't, but my wife could take a paintbrush and create a beautiful work of art for you, right? Or I could take that marker and I could just color on every single person here in the front row and draw a mustache and stuff on them. I could do, right? Is it the marker's fault? Or is it the dude holding the marker, right? It's the dude holding the marker. The same is true for money. You can build hospitals, orphanages. You can fight human trafficking with millions of dollars. Or adversely, you could build casinos, strip clubs. You can fund human trafficking and terrorist organizations with millions of dollars, right? Okay, money's just a tool. It emphasizes more of who you are or what you are. Number two, second area is how we steward our money carries eternal impact. There's a statement that Jesus makes. He's telling a parable, and this is the only place in Scripture you'll ever see this. Matthew 25, 23. We have it on the screen. Jesus says, he's telling about the talents. He says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So we quote this at, at funerals. Oh man, they're with Jesus now and they're hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant, right? You know you know that the only place that this is mentioned is when Jesus is actually talking about how people stewarded the money that God gave him. There's some people, man, they're excited just to be able to put food on their table and, and their capacity for income, it's just different than somebody else's. And, and they work hard, and they're, they, they're diligent, but it's, they just have a certain capacity. And then you have some other people that have a little bit higher capacity. And then you have the, the, the 10 talent guys, right? You got the people that are multimillionaires, and it's like, man, everything they touch, it just seems to turn to gold. What in the world? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, how do they have that, right? How did they get the, the, the winning lotto ticket at birth? There's just certain talents and grace that God has given different people. Can we all grow in our talents? Absolutely. But hearing that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, you'll only hear that. You can study it out and study the parable. Jesus is talking about how you stewarded the resources God has given to you. He's talking about finances. And last year we taught a little bit on this. And one, one of the phrases that was ringing in my ears as we were teaching this was about storehouses. You hear a lot about storehouses when you look up tithing scriptures. And, and, and the Lord led me to this. He just spoke to me this. He said, the storehouse of supernatural increase is located at the intersection of stewardship and generosity. Sorry, Mr. TV evangelist preacher that says I'm going to, if I'm not a good steward, then why would God give me more? Okay. A lot of you guys have kids, right? Would you, would you give your kid a Maserati as their first car? 
No, if you're smart, if you're wise, you wouldn't. Why? Because they have not shown you that they can be a good steward of the car that only goes 40 or 50 miles an hour. Why would you give them something that goes 150 miles an hour? They're gonna blow up their lives. Same is true with finances. Why would God bless somebody that's gonna misuse those finances and wreck lives? They're gonna blow up their own life. So, so the, the storehouse of the supernatural increase. If you want to see supernatural increase in your life, and we're going to unpack it more of the, over the coming weeks, the storehouse of supernatural increase is located in being a good, it's the intersection of being a good steward and living generous. Am I a good steward of everything that God's given to me? Uh, am, I, am I a good steward of the finance I currently have? And, and also, am I living generously? And the third area there that I just want to share on is a baseline from a money perspective, statements about money. Number three, God loves to bless kingdom-minded people. He really does. He loves to bless kingdom-minded people. There's a, a gentleman that's part of our board. His name's Mike Rovner. Some of you have met Mike. He's spoken here a couple of times over the course of Authentic Church. And, and Mike Rovner, he started out, he was, he was a drywall guy. So he's drywall painter, basic construction guy. Uh, he had like barely high school uh, education. In most of high school, he was uh, working on the side as a street pharmaceutical sales rep. And, uh, and his nickname was Marijuana Mike, and he was a big drug dealer in the valley, right? And so, uh, but, but Mike meets the Lord, and he meets God in a supernatural way, and, and God begins to speak to him, and, and, and he, he prays this prayer. He said, Lord, I want you to take everything out of my life that you don't want and put everything in my life that you do want. And the next day, his house was raided by the DEA. True story. You can read it in his book. And it started Mike on a, on, a, on a change, on a trajectory path where he's like, God, I'm going to do it your way. So he began to read the word and meet with his pastor, and he wanted to do everything just by the book. And so he, he's like, I, I don't have much, but I got this drywall painting business. My wife's cutting hair, working as a hairdresser, this salon. And they, they're just putting one foot in front of the other, and they started applying the principle of the tithe to their business. So they tithed on the gross profit of the business. So before they paid their, their taxes, before they, they paid for their insurance and everything else, they were tithing on the gross because they wanted the blessing on the gross, not the net. And so, smart man. And so it was every dollar that came in, he would tithe on. So if he made $100, he would go ahead and he would tithe $10. He, he made $1,000, he would tithe $100, okay? So Mike began to do this and started the principle of the tithe. Supernaturally, his business started to grow. Then one day they're watching Christian television and TBN at that time, they had a whole segment on this guy named Matthew Barnett that had this, he had been given this old hospital that he was converting to actually be housing as people are coming off drugs and coming off to the streets to be rehabilitated and actually helping them be repositioned in society to be, you know, law-abiding citizens and also helping them with jobs and getting them their first suit and everything else, helping them with interviews. This beautiful program called the Dream Center. And now it's pretty it's pretty famous. At that time, it was fairly new. So he's sharing the vision of this on Christian television Mike's wife, Janet, goes, honey, I think you're supposed to contact them, and I, I think you're supposed to help them remodel that. 
I was like, okay, I don't, you know, try to get a hold of somebody, honey. I don't know where to start with this stuff, you know? So they get a hold of the Dream Center and they come down and he just says, hey, I know you probably got a lot of bids. I'm a Christian. My wife and I were watching. We saw you mentioning it on this Christian program. And so we, we just wanted to come down and, eat, you know, if, you, if you're open to other bids, we'll submit a bid. Or if you just need us to look over the bids you already have just to make sure that you're not being taken advantage of. We do tons of work in LA. We'd be honored to help you. So they look at their bids and they ended up saving them millions and millions of dollars. When Mike looked at it, he's like, you're being overcharged here, over here, over here. We can dumb that down over here. We can, we can go ahead and value engineer it, right? We can do something creative over here. We can get this bid down and they were floored. So he ends up doing this job that has been such a blessing to literally thousands and thousands of people. And there's such fruit. Now you take a look at Mike's company. It's not only the largest construction company in Southern California, but they've expanded across the nation into different cities. And the Lord has supernaturally blessed the work of his hands, like supernaturally. Where he was a conduit for thousands of dollars, he then became a conduit of tens of thousands of dollars. And as he was faithful in that, he became a conduit of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And when he was faithful in that, he's literally become a conduit for millions of dollars funding the kingdom of God. So beautiful. Let me tell you what's even more beautiful about that. There's a lot of people that want to sow a check. There's other people that actually sow their life. Mike has personally led over a thousand people to Jesus in his office at his construction company. That's the real fruit. Like he, he lives it, he breathes it, he walks it. There's principles that God has in his word that unlock different keys for us to walk through. What's a key? A key you get when you need to open a door. So as we go through this, I want you to prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what's a key that you want for me that's gonna open a door in an area of my life? Let me tell you another story. There's a friend of mine, uh, uh, for, for, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want you to Google him and stuff like that, but for the sake of this, we'll call him Ben, okay? And, uh, and so he, he was working for uh, a software company, and, and his buddy was a programmer dude, and they lived in Colorado in their little apartment, and his buddy's a programmer dude, and my buddy, Ben, uh, he was the sales guy. And so uh, he's the sales guy, and, and Ben's the programmer, and they're selling this stuff to the dentist offices, and they're just trying to make some money, and they're getting a few clients. And then uh, he's out rock climbing one day, and he falls, and he breaks his back. He's like, my world's over. I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm going to walk again. And, uh, and he gets radically saved. So he starts believing God that he's going to be healed. And he starts believing God for God's promises. He ends up getting a teaching on how to manage your finances biblically. That There's a certain thing called stewardship. There's a thing called a tithe, the 10% of his income. And so he began to tithe on every dollar that came into their company. And so his business partner, a guy named Jeff, which is actually comical. So his, his buddy, his buddy Jeff is an atheist, like doesn't believe in God. My buddy Ben is a strong Christian and he begins just, and he's, he had to lay on his stomach and do cold calls all day long from his bed because his back was broken. And so he's laying there on his stomach all day long doing cold calls, like eight, nine hours a day, cold calls, lying on your stomach. Sometimes we want God's blessing without actually having a work ethic, <laughs> And my buddy had a great work ethic, and he was honoring God. And then time, time would happen, his back would be healed. Their little software dentist company would grow. 
And then fast forward, they end up having an opportunity to move to Seattle, Washington. And they say, oh, man, I love it up here. It's beautiful. It's kind of like Colorado, but only it's better. It's more green. There's more lakes and everything. Like, we love it. So they moved to Seattle, Washington. Him and his wife, they have a couple kids now. And he, he gets plugged into our church that we we're attending up in Seattle. And he, he, one day he's praying for the church and he's praying for his business. And, and, uh, and he, something on the inside just said, man, I would love, I'd love it. Is that a tornado warning? Please tell me it's not a tornado warning. I, I hear that sound and I start to twitch from, from when we were in Texas. It's like, oh my goodness. So Amber Alert, I get it. So, so he, he's at the church there in Seattle and he, something inside of him goes, I'd love to, I'd love to give a million dollar check to the church. And at the time, he was making like 100 grand, right? I mean, so, but he's believing that God's gonna bless him and increase him. And so he actually goes to the pastor and says, hey, pastor, I, I, I want you to pray with me. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that, that one day I'll be able to write a million dollar check. And the pastor was like, oh, that's great, Ben. And, you know, that's so, we're with you, you know, and, and let's, let's pray and believe God's gonna bless your, your business and different things. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he actually took it to heart. So he, he goes in his room and begins to pray and he goes to his job and begins to work and he's tithing, he's sewing, etc. Well, then one day he walks into the church and he put his hand, arm around the pastor during worship and he said, hey, pastor, remember that day years ago when I said, yeah, 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 I want to give a million dollars and the pastor goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, hands him a check. Pastor goes, Shaba falling out, you know. <laughs> and he was so excited about doing that. His little company had grown, and the business partner, who's not a Christian, loved to play games. He was a gamer. And he wrote this little piece of coding for video games that helps the video process really quickly so things can move smoothly on the screen. So as you're playing, you're, you're telling it what to do with your controller, and then this little piece of programming helps it go smoothly on the screen. Well, they got a call from a little company up in the Northwest called Microsoft, and Microsoft had them sign all these NDAs and brought them in for a meeting and said, hey, we're in the process of launching a gaming console, and it's highly confidential, hence all the NDAs. Um, but your video game, that little component that you wrote for programming, we actually want to use for all of our video games. As you know, obviously, Xbox was launched and it's gone around the world, and 90% of the video games played on Xbox and a lot of other gaming consoles use their little piece of software in every one of those in a multi-billion, billion, billion dollar industry. They recently sold that company and... If I told you our friend's name and you were back at the Museum of the Bible, you would see his name on the wall as him and his wife were one of the main people that helped to fund the Museum of the Bible back in Washington, D.C. The Lord loves to bless kingdom-minded people. And I just believe that there's some kingdom-minded people here in this room today. And some of you might be here and, and maybe there's something in your heart where you're like, man, I, I, I want to step out. I, I, I want to sow seed. I want to be generous. I want to be faithful in the tithe. But there's an area, I think a lot of times we don't because there's an area of fear or where you maybe listen to a wrong teaching from some 
platform preacher, evangelist person on TV. There's a wrong teaching that got a wrong doctrine into your heart that if I do this, then I'm going to see this. Now, there's principles in scriptures for sure, but if your motivation is to get, you're off. If your motivation is to expand your kingdom over his kingdom, you might see some success because the principles of God, you put them into play in your life, you're, you're going to see them work. Christians, non-Christians, Jewish people, non-Jewish people, they see the principles of God work out in their businesses. But when you apply the word of God with the right heart, man, you become a valley that the Lord can do something special in. I want to read you a few scriptures and remind us today, the, the heartbeat of today's message is just to remind you of the faithfulness of God. Deuteronomy, I'm going to go through these rather quickly. If you're taking notes, one good thing to do when you're taking notes is to write the, the address down, then, then the book. So like the first scripture I'm going to write, reference is Deuteronomy 7, 9. Write down seven colon nine and then go back and write Deuteronomy. You'll remember Deuteronomy, but if you just get that number down, that usually helps you with a note-taking perspective. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, that he is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Psalms 91 verse 4 he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Psalms 119, verse 90. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind? Has he said and he will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Psalms 33 verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his works is done in faithfulness. Kara, if you could play the keys for me as we're ending, that would be great. Psalms 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And I felt like that was so important to include this scripture because sometimes we can beat ourselves up. Sometimes we're harder on ourselves than the Lord is. So, so, sometimes we feel like we're, we're at the bottom of the pit and the Lord's like, dude, you're my son. Get out of the pigsty. Like, I've, I've called you, I've put your royalty, I want to put a, a ring on your finger, I want, to, I want to put my robe on you, like you're my son. And sometimes you can forget the love of God, the steadfastness, the mercy of God on our lives. He is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, Jeff, if you only knew how much I've blown it financially, how many times I've blown it financially. Brother, I get it, I've done it, I've done it. Went through a season in our lives where I remember when my boy River was born and, and like we, we didn't have two pennies to scratch together. I remember we were going through a difficult time. We literally went from being a big giver in the church to we were knocked out financially. It was after the big crash that happened in 2008, 2009. And I had done some stupid stuff with our home equity line of credit <laughs> and the bank called the note. 
And I remember like, man, we're like, we're losing it all. And I'm like, Lord, you're faithful. And I ran to the store and we, we didn't have gas. And so I had to put gas in the car. We were going to drive about an hour away and see Fawn's family and needed to get there. So put gas in the gas tank. Credit cards were maxed out. Bank accounts all time low. And uh, remember changing River's diaper when he was a baby. And I go to look for the next one. And I'm like, oh man, please no. It's like when you run out of toilet paper at home, you're like, no, oh God, you know. Just put the last diaper on my son's butt and now we don't have another one, you know. And I look in our bank account. Well, I didn't know it, but I just overdrew the account when I filled up the tank of gas. Lord, I like, I just can't breathe right now. And in that season, God was teaching me stewardship. And I was not a good steward. I did not have a good budget. I did not have good parameters. Because we had gone through seasons, we were so blessed. It's like if we wanted it, we got it. I remember one time I was talking to my wife and I was like, do you know what our grocery bill was last month? She's like, I don't know, maybe seven, 800. I said it was over 2000 at the grocery store. I like steak, but we could just eat you know, grass. <laughs> Grass-fed steak. And through that time, I, you know, we were worship leading in the church and we were helping and pastoring people, but man, we just, we got the wind knocked out of us with some financial choices that we made. And suddenly I'm enrolled in a small group where I'm learning financial stewardship principles. And I'm going to friends that we used to go on vacations together and stuff. And I'm like, man, will you just teach me how to do a budget? I know, I know it sounds pathetic, but whatever I'm doing is not working. And they begin to share with us and they loved on us. And I remember I was doing straight commission sales for a buddy's company. He had like pity on me. He's like, dude, I'll do what I can to help you. It's straight commission. It's an opportunity. And during that time, after the crash of 08 and 09, like nobody was hiring. So I started doing this and I remember getting, I worked a few months with no pay. And then I got a check and it was like $250. And in a family of five, you know, Fawn and I and a bunch of kids, like $250 goes like that. <laughs> and I remember getting it and I thought, Lord, I'm going to honor you. And I don't know how you're going to stretch this and take care of my needs. I don't see it. There's so many things I could do with this $250, but I'm going to honor you because your word says that the tithe is sacred and holy. And so I'm going to trust you. And so I remember giving $25 to the church, which <laughs> felt like $2,500, you know? So I gave 10, I, 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 not gave, I should say it correctly. You don't give the tithe, you return the tithe. So I returned the tithe to the Lord and honored the Lord with that $25 out of the $250 check. And so I'm like, okay, great. So I got 225 in my bank account now and the creditor, creditors are calling like, you know, all the time. They're hunting down to repo my car. It was really sad. And then things begin to shift. We put one foot in front of the other. We stopped buying things we didn't need and started being wiser with our finances. And the Lord would slowly add to our finances. And then suddenly there was a day we didn't need help from the church anymore. 
And through that time, the Lord was so gracious to us, man. We had people that stepped up to pay our heating and electric bill. Our kids were sleeping on mad. We sold everything that we could, and our kids are sleeping on little mattresses on the floor, little Brighton and Juliana. They don't probably even remember this. And we had some friends that came to visit, and they're like, your kids don't have beds? I'm like, oh, no. A week later, I show up at my house, and there they are with beds that they purchased for my family, assembling them for me to bless our family. That's humbling, man. That's humbling. It was my little cousin and her husband that came over to bless us. Humbling. I tell you what, going through that season, I know the faithfulness of God. I remember when I was faithless that he remained faithful. We had people show up and give us gift cards for Christmas so that we could have a Christmas time with our kids. We, we had food that would show up on our front door. We'd get home from church and somebody would drop off a bunch of groceries. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know, It's a challenging time. And if you're sitting here today, you might be going through a challenging time. I'm telling you what, you're going to make it. I know it may not feel like it right now, but I promise you, you will make it. Part of us here at Authentic Church, one of our biggest areas of the budget that we have that's approved by our board of elders is benevolence. Our church is one of the most generous churches for a church our size to give the percentage that we do towards benevolence speaks of who you are. Let's keep going through some of these scriptures. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Oh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord, it doesn't cease. It doesn't like it goes away. It doesn't cease. It's just right there. The steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new. What church? Every morning. And the writer just says, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. Why is this important? It's important to remind yourself that God is faithful. And if you're sitting here today and you feel like, man, I've blown it in all areas of my life, including finances, I'm here to tell you, God is faithful. And he loves you and he will forgive you like that. And he will help you forgive you like that. When we went through that financial challenge for the Peterson home, man, it was a challenge. My whole family knew it. All of our friends knew it. The church knew it. The place where I served knew it. I, everybody knew our story. And you kind of felt like the pathetic, you know, face of hopeless causes, you know. And I, I remember getting, I remember getting a box of food one time and on the side of the church, they had the, the main area. And I remember when we first started receiving from the church financial help and I would go and get that box and I'd try to duck out the side door, you know, and Fawn is in the main foyer with all the moms and all of the kids and all of our friends. And I'd kind of like duck out and go put it in our car. And the Lord challenged me one day, we parked on the other side. He's like, why are you going out the back door and walking all the way around? <laughs> the Lord knew. <laughs> I'm like, well, because I'm embarrassed, you know? He said, okay, where does that come from? Pride. He said, son, I'm taking care of you. So I felt impressed actually to grab that box of food that the church just gave me and take the quickest route to my car, which was actually through the foyer, past all of our friends, sitting there with their kids and everything, 
And I remember some friends went, oh, there's Jeff. He's right over there. What, what's, what's he carrying? Fawn goes, oh, that's a box of food. And they go, oh, that's a, oh, that's a box. Oh, I didn't know. As a church, I hope that our heart posture position is, hey, man, we all go through it. Finances can be a metaphor right now. When we see somebody that comes into this community of faith and they're disheveled and they're going through it and they feel beat up and they've blown it 10 times over in their life, may our heart posture be, I'm so glad you're here. Not, oh God, you're here. No, it's, I'm so glad you're here. You're in the right spot. You're in the right place. God is gonna do a turnaround in your life. He can change it. What he did for me, he can do for you. How he saved me and pulled me out of the miry clay and placed my feet upon the rock to stand. What he did for me, he can do for you. You might be going through a financial challenge right now. What God did for me, he can do for you. If you will be a faithful steward, if you will honor God, if you will be generous with what he's given in you, what he's placed in your hands, I'm telling you what he's done for us, he can do for you, not based on my experience, but based on the word of God. My mission today is just to remind you of the faithfulness of God. And as a church, no matter what giant you're facing, what do we do? We hear and we obey. We sow and we pray. And then we reap. That's work. It takes work to reap the harvest. And then you rest. Let's all stand together as we close out today. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me in this message? What are you saying to me in my heart? What are you saying to me in my life, in my finances? But most importantly, I just want to ask this question. What's the, what's the Lord saying to you in your relationship with him? If you're here today and you would say, man, I... I don't know that I can stand on the word of God or the principles of God because I don't have a relationship with God. If that's you, I just want to invite you. You are not in this church today on accident. God had a purpose and a plan for you being here. And as we read through the scriptures of his faithfulness, even when you were faithless, he was faithful and he was faithful enough to grab your attention, to walk you with an invite from a friend or a family member and bring you into the house of God today that you could be reminded of his faithfulness and he loves you and he wants to have a closer relationship with you, but he's a loving and a kind God. He's not going to force it on you. He's going to try to get your attention. He's going to try to, to, to woo you with his love. He, he's going to show you his kindness. And he's, his hope is that, that when, you, when you encounter his kindness, his goodness, and his love, that it's going to lead you to repentance, that it's going to lead you to a path that's closer to him. And if you're here today, and if you've never prayed the prayer, or you've prayed a prayer maybe many times, but you just haven't fully repented, you haven't changed your mind, you haven't changed direction, I just want to encourage you with this scripture out of Romans 10, 9, where the apostle Paul says this, he says that if you declare with your mouth, but Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you need to get right with God right now today, this is the most important step you can take right now. 
This is the most important prayer you could pray, but I want to tell you, I want to be honest with you. Don't stop there. Don't stop just confessing a scripture over your life. Don't stop just praying a prayer, but now pray that prayer into action. That God doesn't call you to pray some prayer. He calls you to live a sold out life as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of his. When we say you're the Lord of my life, it means I'm not Lord. That means I don't call the shots. And we would be so honored to give you a gift today. And on the side of the stage, we have Bibles. And I would want to meet with you, pray with you, and put this Bible in your hand as you begin your journey. And beyond that, I want to take you out for coffee. If you're here today and you're starting a relationship with Jesus for the first time or you're, be, you're beginning again, you're coming back to the Lord today, I just want to have a coffee with you. I want to hear your story. I want to share with you his story and his plan and his purpose for your life. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.